Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Pinecker, but this is actually, despite the fact that I have the wrong logo up, this is a special MMR, Mormon Media Reviews presentation. And we're going to be doing a very special watch along with a movie that is a Christmas cult classic. And we're so excited about this. And before we get into that, it's called Christmas Knows, Christmas Wins. Before we get into that, I just want to thank Rebecca for coming on. Rebecca Biblioteca is my frequent co-host on Mormon Movie Reviews. How are you doing today? I am well, Steve. How are you this morning? I am just doing great. It's really awesome to be able to spend time this time of year with close friends like you two. And this is another friend of mine. Now, this is the thing, folks. My friend here is with the legendary rock and roll podcast, Pot of Thunder. Now, warning to you all. It's a not safe, not safe for work podcast. So for those of you who are sensitive to language, perhaps you don't want to listen to it. Now, Nick doesn't use the bad words. And I've been a guest on that program. And I didn't use any bad words, but you do use some bad words. But it's a great, awesome podcast, Pot of Thunder. Nick Jones, welcome to the program. Steve, always a pleasure. I'm, I'm enjoying this uh, annual visit uh, around Christmas time on your show. Yes, Thank this is now you. officially an annual event. Because yep. Nick Jones and I actually did a talk. We talked about the movie, Christmas Knows, Christmas Wins. Now, it was under copyright. And, of course, I'm just this little tiny channel. And, and, and Nick actually came to me. Now, let me, let, me, let me give you a little background here. Nick Jones and I are from what's called the region, northwest Indiana, home to Gene Shepard, all of you best known for A Christmas Story. And Nick reached out to me. And, again, this is all part of my journey, folks. Like, Nick, Nick. I, I lost touch with all my family and friends for like a very long time, like a dark decade of the soul. And Nick, throughout that decade, reached out to me on Facebook, unbeknownst to me, because I didn't even realize I had a Facebook account. But he reached out to me, and and uh, we reestablished our friendship as a result of my channel. And so this is kind of like a Christmas miracle. It does feel that way, yes. <laughs> but you came I, and brought yeah. this. You brought this movie to me to my attention. Mm -hmm. Maybe talk a little yeah. bit about how you uh, how you came across this film. Um. So I. I I am a fan of Christmas media. I guess I love a lot of the Christmas music. Uh, if I can find old television shows that have Christmas episodes, I I just enjoy kind of going back and exploring that. And a couple of years ago, I was on YouTube, and there was a playlist that someone had made of Christmas movies, and they, of course, weren't the popular ones because you you know you have people flagging it for copyright if it was something like that but a lesser known stuff which was fine with me and this happened to be on that playlist and i watched it and at first i mean we'll get into it i don't want to give too much away but at first i didn't get that it was going to be different it was going to be a unique sort of a christmas special and then just sort of toward the end it's like oh wow it all came together so i noticed i i Took a mental note. It said it was done by Brigham Young University, uh, nineteen seventy-eight. And I and when Steve and I reconnected, uh, it, it came to mind like, hey, I saw this really interesting little Christmas film, and I sent it to him, and uh, somehow he'd never heard of it. So it was it was really cool to get to introduce him to that. Yeah, and that's what's so great about this, and in the. Uh... And and just so you know, this is a watch along. So we literally are going to be watching along with this film. And I got to give you a backstory here. And Rebecca, we're going to chime in with you too, because there's so much good backstory to this whole thing. Is I actually, there was a person who actually made a proposal to me about doing something similar, about doing movies and stuff like that. And that kind of fell through. And it was weird because one of the things I did is I went to him and I said, listen, I want to do a movie program like a MS, you know, Mystery Science Theater 3000, you know, talk, so, you know, we talk about the film. And I said, and the goal of this is I want to get permission from Brigham Young University Films to do Christmas Knows, Christmas Wins. And this person goes to me and says, there's no way that would ever happen. Impossible. And I'm like, oh, no, you just. You, you don't say that to me because inevitably <laughs> it's going to happen. And it did. And now uh, we, 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 uh, we went our separate directions, but this really truly is another Christmas miracle. And uh, so I want to thank Devin Jensen at BYU, who I reached out to, to get some contacts 
over at the Copyright Office at Brigham Young University. I talked to Jack. I don't even know his last name. Jack at the Copyright Office, who spent about two weeks investigating, looking, talking to the right people. And he, in last the other day, he said, Steve, we're on board. They love the idea of doing this. And so this is really exciting. So thank you so much for Devin for giving me the right people to talk to. And Jack over at the Copyright Office, I really appreciate it. This is really awesome. Rebecca, before now, we're going to we're going to start uh, this shortly. But Rebecca, I also think it's important because, of course, you're really into Mormon media reviews and and all the the Christmas stuff and all this. Maybe give a little background about maybe your relationship with the writer and 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 of this and your and and that your husband has as well. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, certainly. So my experience with this film, I've said it before, how the way I was raised, we didn't have television. We watched things from the Meeting House Library, the LDS Meeting House Library. So we watched all the videos and films that, you know, BYU put out. So this was one of those. So I actually saw this, I think, when I was a little bit of an older teenager. Let's say I would have been about 12 and 78. So, yeah, I must have been a little bit older. But so I had seen this back in the day. And it was always very interesting to me. So when I came across it later in life, um, when I was married, <laughs> first married, my husband and I just for fun would check things out of the Meeting House Library. Um, and I watched it again then. So it's been something that, you know, and I think as Nick said, we'll see later, there's just something about this. It's not what you expect. It's just very different. And it, and it just kind of stays with you. And so knowing that Steve was really intrigued by this, film too. And he had been telling me um, that he had been in contact with the widow of the writer and, you know, the person who put the film together. And so I kind of thought, oh, that'd be interesting if we were able to do it. Well, a few things came into play and I realized, oh my goodness, the person who wrote this short story and turned it into the movie, Donald Marshall, was my and my husband's favorite film professor at BYU. Dr. Donald Marshall. So to find that out, it kind of all made sense to me that I was so intrigued and so attracted to it because it really has his stamp and his personality all over it. That's great. And this is the thing too, Nick, this is interesting because of course, the widow, she reached out to me after watching Nick and I's talk, talk through of the film because she was looking for stuff for her husband's obituary and, and she was looking for uh, Christmas Snows, Christmas Winds on YouTube. And she came across our thing and really appreciated it. So it was really cool. And Nick, actually, I had Nick reach out to her. Now, we haven't heard back, but she's probably just really busy or whatever. But I had Nick reach out to her. And we just want to tell you, thank you so much for reaching out. It was really cool. And this is the thing I always thought. And when I, when Nick and I filmed this last year, there was always something in the back of my head. Like, there's going to be more to this. There's something. Christmas, I'm not thrilled with Christmas knows Christmas wins. And so without further ado, I think it's time for us to start our talk along watch along and uh of christmas knows christmas wins and again thank you everybody who helped make this possible so i'm going to do our screen share and i'm going to okay folks here we go <laughs> today the snow fell and i feel it must be falling too somewhere on the fields and on the fence posts and that somewhere out there tonight, when the light turns an icy blue, a horse standing still in a white field will shiver and ripple its mane. Before this starts, I just want to let you know, folks, we're we're going to not really talk over the film because for many of you, this is the first time you'll be watching the film. And but we are going to chime in. We're going to hit pause now and then uh, with our observations and uh, everything like that. So but I would really want you to take this film in in its in all its uh, uh, beauty. City. Christmas music blared through the department stores as wide-eyed children and impatient adults hurried through the displays. 
I watch the electric. So, Nick, what do you have to say about this department store scene? Well, <laughs> it's it's familiar. Um, it's very much uh, now. Of course, this predates Christmas Story by five years, and I want to I wanted to make that you know clear because I'm going to be comparing it to the Christmas Story, and I don't know how widely seen this film was, whether it had an actual direct influence or not, but just the cinematography the 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 sets um just the overall tone of the film really reminds me of it and we, you've got the narrator like when gene shepherd's narrating over a christmas story um movie more or less opens with uh people looking in department store windows uh just like they would have at goldblatt's in hammond indiana back in the 1930s and uh yeah that i just wanted to I'll try not to compare it too much to Christmas Story, but it's it's just to to me, especially the first time when I watched it, I, it really struck me like, wow, this is this is stylistically very similar. Okay, and and Rebecca, since we're paused here, of course, this is like this is your 1970s. I mean, memories. Now, of course, I would have uh, I would have been five years old when this movie came out. So this actually would have been part of my Christmas memories as well. But this really uh, brought you back, didn't it? Yeah, it really captures that. Um, my young Christmas memories would have been the late 60s and the early 70s. And my dad had a trench coat just like the narrator is wearing right there. And I think I owned that bear right there on the on the right. I'm not kidding. I, I would show this to anyone and say, if you want to know what Christmas was like in the late 60s or early 70s, this is it. It just really captures it in every way. So it's extremely nostalgic for me to watch this. Okay, well, that sounds great. So let's let's do this continuing walk down memory lane for all of us. And this is really great. Big elves in Santa's workshop blithely innocent of all passers-by, bent in perpetual labor over their half-finished toys. Children's eyes seemed scarcely able to contain the array of glittering, fragile images scattered before them in this cozy world of stuffed toys and dolls and all of Santa's other treasures. I saw a child looking at a clear red unicorn on a thin stick. The music and the memories caught something in my mind. I remember those glass candy animals. And I remember other things. I remember the days, the weeks, the Other things. I remember other things. Uh, Nick, what do you touched, have to We've touched on what, uh, you know, again, I'm not going to go ahead of myself, but what makes this a very unique Christmas film. And it's, you've got the, all of a sudden, some sort of dissonant, foreboding almost uh, bit of music. Yes. And of course, folks, we demanded that Nick bring the piano back this year. <laughs> we played it on their original one. And so he, we, that was his attempt at replicating the music. So yes, there's, there's a foreboding. There's, 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 this is what makes this a very different Christmas movie months of waiting when December seemed interminable worlds away. I remember the long afternoons at school when the radiator hissed and bare branches made tapping noises on the windows. And I longed for the passings of weeks till that special day. I remembered those tinseled moments even before October's leaves had turned to blue-gray smoke in the November air. And a sudden woody smell of pine or a far-off jingling of a bell sent crystal shatters of Christmas tingling through my veins. I remember the smell of the new Ward's catalog when it came, and how the pages felt. Man, look at them oh, the magic of those pages. Reaching with some inexplicable power through the endless blur of days ahead, they could steal a handful of Christmas and scatter it instantly before us. Every page was Christmas. Every object magically invested with holly berries and mistletoe. I remember the catalog. And I remember 
other things. After the endless days of painting and cutting and pasting, the secret gifts we'd make would lie drying by the radiator while we squirmed restlessly at our desks, practicing the songs for the Christmas program, longing for the passing of days and weeks, yet excited by the visions conjured in those songs. The little town of Bethlehem, lying so still with its dreamless sleep and its silent stars. The three kings bearing gifts and traveling from afar, and perhaps the most glorious of all in those days, jolly old Saint Nicholas, leaning his ear and promising not to tell a single soul. Don't you tell a single soul what I'm going to say. Then at last, the final day of school would come. We'd file that night up the stairs and into the crowded auditorium to perform at last the little pieces and songs, the words to the carols still twisted and garbled to most of us, and our minds forever impatiently straying to the images in the glossy catalog. Now this is this would be familiar to all of our childhoods. Nick, you wanted to say something about this. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, I, I remember when we spoke about this before recording, uh, actually a couple of days ago, uh, Rebecca mentioned something about uh, memories of a catalog as is featured. Back to the catalog. No, that's absolutely true. The Sears catalog is the one that I remember more than the Ward's catalog, but absolutely. And I think it's funny. I tried to describe that to my kids when they were growing up. Oh, you know, didn't have TV, didn't see commercials, but it was a catalog, you know, and they, they didn't quite get it. You know, there's nothing like that when that would just arrive and you would just spend hours looking at it and imagining the things that you could buy, the things that you could get. It, it was wonderful. So. Yeah, I remember the Sears and the Wards catalog, of course, both great Chicago institutions. Uh, we used to, I remember going through those as a child as well. And, and so, uh, yeah, that was a different world. That was Amazon. That was our Amazon. That was our Amazon. That's right. And I have to say that in this Christmas pageant, I remember having the little tinsel <laughs> headband, just like they put on those, those, those uh, little girls. Like I said, this is just so nostalgic. For me, it just, it feels like they've somehow captured, even though this is years earlier, you know, there's so many things that transcend through the decades. I, I just feel this is, you know, it's just so current to me. I can just remember. Any child who's been in a Christmas play, this is their memory too. Yeah, no this is generation. their memory. That's right. So let's sit back and enjoy the play. back to school for almost two whole weeks and yet with a new intensity the waiting would go on i recall the days of christmas card making the snips and scraps of colored paper the homemade cards with cut-out windows and laboriously drawn winter scenes with their steeple churches, owing more to Calendar Vermonts and New Hampshires than the western farming communities around me. And all the time the fire with its rich, piney scent would pop and crackle while its sizzling sap would whisper. Quick question, did you guys grow up with a fireplace in your house? I did. Okay, I did too. Yeah, so this brings back a lot of memories uh, for me. Yeah, and then sitting by the, you know, by the fireplace, and it's cold, and you sit and getting the heat uh, brings back memories. And John, Nick, you don't, you didn't have a fireplace growing up, huh? No, no, we did not have a fireplace. Um, actually, my wife and I have, we have a, it's not a legitimate 
fireplace, but it's uh, more of like a, an electric space yeah. heater with with that. And we just got we just got it earlier this year and really enjoying it. it it's I it's one of those things where I never grew up with it. I thought, ah, oh, fireplace, you know, but then once I've got just this little facsimile of one, I thought, oh yeah, this is pretty cool. I like there, do your, do your boys huddle up in front of it? Um, yeah. It's really yeah. cold. <laughs> That's yeah. Great. Yeah. We, it's yeah, they do actually. So we're, <laughs> we're trying to figure out a good way to get the stockings hung above it before Christmas here. <laughs> okay. You know, I just, I have to compliment the art direction, the costuming, the props in this, I do not know how they did this um, to recreate this era. The hairstyles, the the complexion. I mean, don't does anyone want to talk about that to yeah, me? It's actually absolutely amazing. I mean, down to the construction paper that he care. I mean, yeah. that is some that's some '30s construction paper there. It's just incredible what they've been able to do to recreate it. Yes, I agree. As a matter of fact, Nick and I talked about this on last year's episode. Was you know a lot of your stuff. Your retroactive stuff in the 1970s was very 1970s because everybody had long hair. So I remember, and I pointed out how like on Happy Days, nobody would have had long hair like they did on Happy Days. Uh, I, I I remember in particular seeing uh, on uh, Black Sheep Squadron, these the, the these women with bell bottoms and fair faucet hairdos in the night during a World War II era thing. Right. I, I really liked Mad Men the show because they got everything right every detail was correct and i really have to give a shout out to this film for really getting the time and the place right and it feels like it took place during that time what do you think about that nick um i agree and it, it brought to mind a film that i went searching around on youtube again in the last week or so and i found a film from a few years ago called i think it was christmas for a dollar or something like that and it's about a, a widower and his children during depression in the uh, you know in the 30s and i while i was watching it it struck me some of the actors looked like they would be real people in the 30s some of them looked like you took someone from this decade and just kind of put a dress on them and and put them in there but just the you know the the overall features and there was not that same attention to detail to really make it look authentic Okay, so another shout out for a great job. Again, folks, this is really a remarkable film and I'm enjoying, I hope you're enjoying this watch along. It's coming, it's coming. smells as oranges and cranberries ooze through the grinder to become a sweet so this is the food this is the scene and of course nick and i talked about this last year rebecca what do you want to say about this uh, i was this... gonna say the grinder was my job at christmas that was me right there <laughs> i mean this you know this montage and we'll just play it and not talk through it i think but this food montage this is how it was this is exactly uh, what we made and what we did. And I I feel like I had very old fashioned Christmases because we would go to visit my grandparents and spend a lot of time there. And of course, you know, they were older. So they were making the traditional foods, the traditional candies, the wassail, all that. So this, what you're seeing here is is really what, what I grew up making and um, participating in. So it's so nostalgic. I can literally just smell the, the smells. It's incredible. What did you, uh, what were your ingredients that you were tasked with uh, putting into the grinder? Let's see. I did mostly the apples um, and then I would squeeze the oranges. I was in charge of that, but oh my goodness, the candies that we'll see later. Um, those were exactly what my grandma would make. I had a whole bunch of aunts and they were just in the kitchen, just cooking and you know, I, I feel sorry for my kids today because I don't think there's any way to ever recreate what that was like. I don't think they'll ever know. It's it's just amazing. Well, let's continue. Relish that tasted like Christmas or the smell of whole cloves and cinnamon bark simmering in the hot juices of apples, pineapples, lemons and oranges that would become wassail. I remember the pies, mincemeat and cherry and rhubarb and endless batches of cookies 
everyday sugar cookies that somehow tasted magically different when they were cut into shapes of Christmas trees and Santa Clauses and covered with Christmas-colored frosting. All of those everyday foods were transfigured by the magic of Christmas and the arrival of exotic visitors like figs and dates. And I remember a table laden with cakes and candies and desserts so rich and varied it seemed we could never even sample all of it. And I remember other things. Now I have to say, if he had stuck his tongue on the glass and it got stuck, then we would have another Christmas story montage. That's the scene I thought of when I saw that. <laughs> I had to say that. I remember running behind as Papa and my brother brought the tree into the house, fearing that its branches would be broken and lamenting that its trunk must be shortened. I loved the dusty, sweet and spicy smell loaned by the tree to the parlor. I loved even the sugary pine gum that stuck to my fingers and resisted soap and water, giving way finally only to the salty slipperiness of Mama's butter. And when the dusty boxes were taken down from the shelves in the hall, it was like rediscovering old friends momentarily forgotten since that January day nearly a year before, when they were tucked away between the Sunday pages of Maggie and Jiggs and Little Orphan Annie to await December's resurrection. Well, that wasn't the one. Let's try another one. I loved seeing each tangle of lights finally glow as we tightened each globe and tried to discover which burnt-out ball was holding the others back. How about that? Good for another year. Nick, do you want to chime in? Just wanted to interject um, that whole scene with uh, with trying to get the string of lights to work. That's that still happens, <laughs> and and the expression I forget exactly how he said it, but good for another year. It's there. I feel that relief almost every year because it just seems like lights, twinkle lights these days, you, you use them one time and for whatever reason, while they rest uh, throughout the rest of the year, they just don't work anymore. So there is, yes, that, that little feeling of triumph that the father had, I, I've had that uh, fairly recently myself. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> Our decorations were a melange of Christmas's past, and all the dearer for the memories they evoked. member of this bizarre menagerie had found a hospitable bough and the tree lights themselves were snugly hidden among the branches each with its uniquely shaped metal reflector then the whole tree was hung with foil icicles until they dripped silver and shimmering from almost every needle Okay, Dad, what else do you have to say about this scene? <laughs> and another thing. Um, I wanted to ask um, if either of you, because I never have uh, used either on a Christmas tree, have either of you ever done a string of popcorn for garland or used loose tinsel like this? Mm 
Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, the tinsel, you don't see that anymore, but that was absolutely what you did. You threw just tinsel at it all over the place after you put the popcorn on. And I have to say, I, growing up, had that exact tree topper. That was exactly what we had too. So, because yes. we decorated our trees with a lot of older ornaments from my dad and my mom's childhood, which would have been of the era. So when they're unwrapping things here in these scenes, I'm like, oh, yeah, I had a little Santa like that. I mean, it's very nostalgic. So Yep, tinsel popcorn. What about you, Steve? Oh, that's that's half the fun is mom would pop the popcorn. And, and this is how it works. You literally would take a needle and thread it. And it was fun. We could go and put the, you know, uh, the kids put the pop, the, the, put it on the string. So you made it every year. And then, of course, you're eating some of the popcorn as you're making it. Yeah, that that's a great. And tinsel. Yep, we, we did all this to that as well. Yeah, I, I've never done it, but. If I get time, it's a week before Christmas Eve as of this recording. If I yep. get time, I might make one string of uh, popcorn. And have the kids the help you. Have the kids yeah, help Yeah, I think I, sure. that's one of my goals. It it might not happen, but I'm going to try. Please let, give, give us a report and, and we can talk I, about uh, next year's Christmas special. So I will. <laughs> Christmas Eve, the mound of presents growing under the tree had almost obscured the cardboard. So we're hearing some foreboding music intertwined with the Christmas music. Um, I it was just thinking I would buy if there was a vinyl pressing of the soundtrack for this, I would buy this. It's the music is so interesting during this and it's it's such a it's it's such a vehicle for getting the story across it's lovely and and sad <laughs> and there's a lot of tension it, there's just so much going on yeah i love i love the music uh, about this, this this is really that's part of the star of this film as well so mm -hmm. uh all right let's continue village and each ribboned package there for more than one day had been rubbed and poked and pinched from every angle but it was what was not there that we waited for most. Not the hastily wrapped shapes that would inevitably appear at the last minute on that final eve, but those other things, finally placed unwrapped and glittering in the glow of colored lights that would never appear until we had eventually drifted off to sleep with or without visions of sugar plums. study the blackened flue of the fireplace, wondering how the whole miraculous thing could possibly be brought about. A snowfall on that eve of eaves seemed beyond question. And I remember one year looking out at only a gray-blue bleakness settling in on the dead and naked grass. Santa Claus's sleigh even flying through the stars seemed 
unnecessary and impossible without that obligatory whiteness that had to fall and cover the world. And fall it did. Even on that year when it seemed so hopeless, it finally came. The first tiny flakes like lint fluttering in the wind came slithering down the cold blue sky. How necessary it was. In order for the miracle of Christmas to be, the everydayness of mud ruts and frozen ditches had to be lost under the sparkling magic of snow. I remember lying in my bed under the heavy blankets, wanting to capture every sound. Would I hear a tap-tap on the roof or a scraping sound in the chimney? or the clicking of a cup on a saucer as Santa drank the milk and ate the cookie left for him by the fire. Yet, I longed at the same time for sleep to come quickly in order to make the night disappear and the morning come. I just wanted to say that you know the, the, the I grew up in a house, a red brick house, two story with a basement. It was built in the 1930s. It's one of the first uh, neighborhoods in Munster, Indiana, or, or it was well actually our community goes to the 19th century. So I grew up in a 1930s era home. So that kind of brings back memories for me as well. This was that special hour when the aura of that white bearded figure who'd left only a few sugary crumbs by the hearth, perhaps only moments before, still lingered in the parlor with its still burning tree lights and still smoldering fire. What other moment could match this moment? This was the special hour, that magic hour before dawn the room bewitched by the light of the tree, the only sound an occasional popping of a spark or the shifting of coals, as the pine logs now reduced to charcoal, crumbled into rose gold embers. What a beautiful scene. It's something I can very much identify with. I was, um, I grew up with you know my parents and my two brothers, I'm in the middle. I'm the kid that got up at 4.30 in the morning. Like, uh, first glimmer of consciousness that came to me, it, you know, I was awake. And, and I would go <laughs> running over to see in, in the darkness and see all the, the gifts and everything laying there and kind of snoop around and see if my name was on any of them. And so this is bringing back memories of that. This, this child here was essentially me back in the early, mid, late 1980s. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great to live, live through this vicariously through these characters. And there's all familiar. There's still things that a kid growing up today would also find familiar with this as well. I worship this hour. These enchanted moments when Christmas and I touched and nothing broke the spell. We need to have Gaynor Brunson give him some lessons. What do you think, uh, Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'd have some critique of that little trumpet solo right there. <laughs> and what kind of parent gives their child a trumpet for Christmas? Oh my God. <laughs> You know, tr truth be told, it's I uh, I asked my wife if uh, if she wanted an idea to possibly get me something. There's a they make like a, it's sort of a French horn sort of a thing, and it's made out of like this 
durable plastic now. You can get them fairly inexpensive. So we'll see if I get that under the tree this year. <laughs> My goodness. Well, again, report to the, uh, next year's Christmas special. And we'll I will. Get the inside scoop. Taking down of my stocking was a cherished ritual. There would be an orange, exactly like those from the kitchen, yet marvelous and special. How I loved the cream-centered chocolate bunker hills and the ribbon candy and candy canes. There were the inevitable glass candy animals, the English walnuts, pecans, each blessed by the hand of Santa Claus. I just want to know how he was able to fit all that candy in his <laughs> mouth. I, I just, I just hope he didn't actually try to clamp down too hard with his teeth on that walnut. <laughs> exactly. That was a, that was a bit, that was a bit frightening. That that moment could have led to a. <laughs> I just have to say that 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 stocking, like I said, my parents, my parents were very old fashioned. That was my stocking: an orange, peanuts those Bunker Hill candies. I did, I've not experienced or heard of the glass um, candy, you know, the suckers. I have not seen those, but everything else, that was my stocking growing up because my parents, I think, kind of did what was in their stocking, which was back in the thirties. But um, I remember the first time seeing this going, wow, that's exactly what we had, the orange in the toe and the peanuts and the walnuts and, and those other kinds of candies. So again, just so, so nostalgic. Essentially, what is a Bunker Hill candy? It's it's that it's kind of like a, a hard candy on the outside, and then on the inside, it has kind of a weird, gooey, chocolatey. Okay. I don't even know if you can get them anymore. I have no idea. They kind of tasted, I don't know, <laughs> like like, like a like a hard fruit flavored candy on the outside, or yeah, kind, yeah, it was kind of fruity, okay. and then but it had a weird chocolatey center, so hmm. it, it was different. It does ring a bell with me as you're describing it. I think I may have encountered that candy as well. Yeah, encountered it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. Later on in the afternoon, while the smell of roasting pheasant or duck drifted from the kitchen, neighbors and uncles and aunts would come stomping the snow from their feet and bursting in, shouting the greetings we all loved. I remember those beautiful moments and how I tried to hold on to them and make them stretch as long as I could throughout the day. Did, did I see your hand up, Nick? Did you want to say something? I apologize for stopping it so much, but uh, I can't wait to see your new YouTube series, An Evangelical Encounters Bunker Hill Candy. <laughs> <laughs> that's good you made me laugh that's awesome i love it well no i have to say though did you did you look at those people like again the costumes and the hairstyles and there was not i mean they look authentic from the era they do not look like modern people dressed like the era they absolutely look authentic i don't know how they accomplished this but it's impressive it is Oh, 
But in the late, late afternoon, while I sat drowsily on the rug before the fire, and the house was becoming quiet again, I would feel the melancholy begin to seep in, and the sad, sad thought that night was coming. And then it would be tomorrow, and tomorrow would be Christmas no more. I just want to point out, I want to be, uh, all of you, after you're done watching this, to check out Nick and I's talk through of this film, because you actually uh, talk about how you wrote a song called, it's an instrumental called December 26th. Maybe just briefly mention that, Nick. Yeah, that's 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 funny, because it was from that feeling of, uh, he said melancholy in the, in the film, that's exactly what it is as a, as a child, where all this anticipation, all this preparation, and then... You know, it starts on Christmas Eve and then a day later it starts to sink in that like, okay, well, I guess uh, this, you know, big celebratory phase of the Christmas season has, has quickly come to an end. So, uh, yeah, tried. I, I, I years ago uh, wrote and recorded uh, like an instrumental song trying trying to kind of capture sort of a, a whimsical feel but also that melancholy as well because that i can certainly identify with i remember that from my childhood as well that, that as soon as the sun went down on christmas day does anybody have that feel people there's any place people could go to listen to that song uh, online i put it up on youtube um i can send you the link if yep, you want so we'll to have... post this uh we can have something sure yeah All right, it's, we'll it's just something i i did at home just you know for fun but yeah thank you okay. for bringing it up all right, we'll have it in the description. <clears throat> but there is something else I remember too. Sometimes I forget it. Always I try to forget it. But it claims a part of those Christmas memories too. Unwelcome guest in that world of gumdrops and candy canes. It's a memory from another time, much later, when my friends and I were struggling to announce our maturity to the world. It sneaks along the edges of the mind, demanding to be seen, heard, remembered. There was a German family that had a farm a few miles from our town. We scarcely knew them, for they spoke little, and their English was poor and broken. But we would see them in town in their pickup, the old man with dried manure on his boots, the woman with frightened eyes and a yellowish braid wound round her head. They had a daughter a year or two older than I, a very quiet girl with pale skin, pale hair, who wore hand-me-downs and moved through the halls of school with scarcely a word. Her English was probably as good as mine, yet we somehow never remembered it that way. We referred to her derisively as consolation. Her real name was Helka or Inger or something like that, but we always called her Consolation because someone, I think, had seen her once with her arm around a child who had hurt his knee on the playground. Sometimes she too wore braids around her head. Then she looked like a strange little mother grown old before her time. She never had any close friends, as I recall. Yet we often linked her name in jest with anyone we wanted to tease or get back at for something they had done. Uh, this, this is when it starts to really, yeah, get uh, heavy, I guess. The, the theme changes from this light nostalgia um, of, of a Christmas celebration to this. And it's, it's interesting how this girl is being depicted by the narrator because and it's funny how time can do that where when you're a kid and you're with your friends you kind of think you you could you could be a bit more dismissive of people and then in retrospect he's 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 describing her as a saintly type person so it's it's the, the contrast, and uh, he he said something about they were struggling to announce their maturity to the world, and this is I think a a great example of what 
that maturity, the sort of insight that that maturity can give you on, on past experiences and people from your past. Great observation. Um, yeah, this is, this, is, this is where it becomes a different Christmas movie. And, uh, and that's why I love it so much. The snow fell on the streets. The sidewalks are lost under a grey-brown slush. But maybe the snow will mercifully continue to fall and cover it all. Maybe down the highway where the snow blows like smoke across the road, and a lone horse shivers in the wind, it will be thick and deep and white. Consolation. 
Where are you now that the snow is falling once again on the fences and the fields? I didn't cry for you then, but I cry for you now. glad we let art just play out because that's the that's that's what makes this movie so remarkable and you know um what are your thoughts rebecca well i know one thing that we had talked about before is who was crying we had thought it was the mother but i kind of looked closely and saw the mother in the car and it was constance that was crying or consolation oh. that was crying okay. so that was something different but wow it's just um I think everyone can relate to that scene either as being someone that has done something like that, unfortunately, as a child or has or slash and had something like that happen to you. So I could relate to both sides of it. I I've teased people as a child <laughs> with friends and I've also been on the other side of it where, where, you know, I've been teased. So it's just, it's a very, a very poignant moment. And I think the other thing to look at, we were talking about before, is the era that this is. I think we figured this was about 1939-ish, the initial scenes. And now this would be closer to World War II era. There's a German yeah. family living in America and everything that means. This is not just a concert. You know, this has to do with inclusion. This has to do with, you know, a family who is has been through a lot, who's trying really hard. And, you know, some little boys don't understand. I think most of us would forgive the boys, you know, their kids, but there's just a lot more to it, a lot more going on in that scene. Mm, yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Uh, Nick? It's really a beautiful scene. Um, the thing that struck me, it's, it, there's so much going on and there's so much, it, it makes you think so much when you're watching it and afterwards. But the thing, for whatever reason, that stuck out to me in viewing it this particular time was when the boy is running out of the school and he sees the father consoling, we're assuming it's uh, it's the daughter uh, crying on his shoulder and how the boy's staring at, at them. And you could tell he's there. there's a gravity that he realizes. Um, but uh, maybe... 10 seconds later he runs off and in 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 you know a, as he was before that moment so there's this there's this sort of isolated moment right in the middle of him goofing around in the school and then running off to probably play or goof around afterwards and then you realize that that's that moment is what is torturing him right now that he he happened to run by and catch that sight and that's what's stayed with him and I sometimes wonder, I'd love to find out more, but it almost seems like this is autobiographical. Oh, you almost couldn't have written this story unless you experienced something yeah. like this growing up. Yeah, I would agree. It, it, it's really just, it, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking on both sides because you feel, of course, horrible for the German family, but then you feel horrible for this adult this adult man now who's thinking back on it and you know like we talked about the you know times back then compared to now now you can possibly look up this person and maybe try to connect in some way uh back then in the in the 40s you know you probably never saw her again you never knew what became of her and that probably added to the heartache yeah yeah absolutely yeah you know and uh you know, one of the things we also want to talk about too is, of course, um, this is uh, it's Christmas time, and we talk about this is also about the birth of Jesus. And uh, you know, I think it's so important that you know when we watch all these Christmas movies, we sometimes forget one the, the spiritual part of it, right? You know, the part that Jesus is part of it, but also we also sometimes what I I don't really care for the genre of many of these Christmas movies because basically you you could turn on the movie and you know exactly what's going to happen everything is scripted out and 
in this case, it's it's different because there's a twist and there's a foreboding that's there with the film where you have all the nostalgia is there. That every everything it hits all the right notes with the nostalgia and it kind of has that Christmas story feel to it, right? But then it's it's a it becomes a, a film about um, having to step back and also deal with other memories that are not so pleasant. And I think that's a more realistic, uh, more realistic. Um, in, 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 and, and I also have to say that just, just to be a little autobiographical on my part, as you know, of course, I have suffered from depression for most of my life. And it was particularly bad during the Christmas season. Actually, from Thanksgiving to, <laughs> it was hell. <laughs> I didn't really, as a matter of fact, I got so, it got so bad, I got triggered listening to Christmas music. Um, so in one sense, doing this, watching this, and also doing Christmas stuff is is actually, it's therapeutic to me. And it's out helping me in my journey of healing. So that's why um, I really appreciate this film. <laughs> Somebody say something. I know, no, we're I'm almost not. speechless. No, I, it's just, I, it I, just I, leaves you like that, doesn't it? Yeah. You just, you know, and I keep thinking about how this memory, the memory of consolation is linked forever with the holidays for this man. Yeah. He yeah. will never go through a Christmas season where he does not remember consolation or think, where is she now? Or how did that affect her? It will always be there. He will never not think about it. He'll he'll have that knot in his stomach. Mm -hmm. it, it, it'll be, there'll be, I, I mean, we can speculate. He's got a family, you know, he's having Christmas with his kids, mm -hmm. uh, his family, but there are, in the midst of that, every once in a while, that, that knot in his stomach will be there. Yeah. Because as an adult, you look back and you realize, you know, the things that you did as a child, you know, and some things maybe were not the greatest, you know, and, and of course you forgive yourself. You can understand why you did them. You were little, but, you know, I think everybody has things that they look back on and, and realize that could have been done differently and wonder, you know, where those people are now. So I could relate to that part yeah. of it for sure. But yeah. And it, for me, it's amazing how, how much I remember this incident, this is, uh, you know, I was, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like this, this movie does definitely strike a chord mm -hmm. and it's, and it does sound similar to that. I was going to say, is that the chord? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you know, I just want to thank you both for uh, doing this today. And uh, I really hope this, uh, for many of you, maybe this is the first time you've seen this film, or perhaps you do, you grew up watching this film. I would like for you to leave comments in the description to tell us about your experiences with this movie and your memories, but also share with us your Christmas memories, both good and bad. Uh, maybe uh, you, you had bad experiences and you learned to be able to be able to enjoy the holidays, or maybe you still struggle during this holiday season. And I get that. I get that too. And that's why I love this whole enterprise, this movie, this this thing, because it's 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 not it's an it, in one sense it's an anti Christmas movie. It's not, but it's an anti Christmas modern movie, right? It's 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 the complete opposite of what you would expect from a Christmas film, and uh, that's what that's why I think it, I'm so glad, Nick, that you brought this film to my attention, and I'm so thankful that Rebecca grew up watching this, so we're able to get a different perspective, and so we have an evangelical, we have somebody who is steeped in Mormon culture. It's it, it's every fiber of your being in many ways, and we have this Polish Catholic guy from Northwest Indiana who uh, came across this film many years ago and was blessed and also just blessed by the film and also given it, it gave him a lot of food for thought. What do you say to that, Jonski? Absolutely, and I, you bring up the uh, I'm only half Polish, but it's become a thing that I'm this I'm this Polish guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even I don't even like sauerkraut but uh it's that that you know and that's another thing is my uh my Polish relatives came to this country in the 40s so you know they were they were displaced like I'm assuming perhaps this German family was so yeah there's there's so much even though I didn't grow up that area didn't you know a lot of the like they had the fireplace they did the wassail it's like a lot of that i 
didn't grow up with, but there's so much to identify with good and perhaps a bit disturbing in this film. It's just, it's, it's such an intelligent, thoughtful, subtle sort of a film. It's, it's brilliantly done. It, it should be, I don't know if it would take the appeal away if it was a classic that they played on television every year. You know, it's, it's almost like, wow, there's this sort of forgotten film that's so great. I'm, but I would like more people to see it. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's truly wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, Rebecca, was there anything else you wanted to say? No, I'm just I'm just really happy that uh, we did this. And like Nick said, I would like more people to say it. I've been, you know, sending it to everybody that I can when I find it online and just say, do you guys remember this? And a lot of people of my era don't remember it. So maybe I was the only one that was watching it. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, Meeting House Library would go there all the time and check the films out. But yeah, there's just something about it. And, and it's almost it's so difficult to explain what it is. You, you just have to watch it and I, you have to encounter it. And I think everybody has a different relationship with it in relating to it. Some can relate directly, you know, other people just relate to the essence of it, but there's something in it that strikes that chord, I think, for everyone. Well, I want to thank both of you for coming on today. And this has been a real blast. We had a lot of fun today. And uh, Nick Jones of Pot of Thunder in the house, Rebecca Biblioteca, also with the Good Book Club. Uh, we love, uh, I love both of you. You're both so awesome. Thanks for participating in this today. And thanks again to my friends at the BYU Copyright Department for giving us the okay to do this. I think that's really important. I'm, I'm honored that, that you guys did this and I appreciate you so greatly. I want to thank the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I love you all. And I want to wish all of you a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year's, and God bless. And don't forget, don't forget to like and subscribe. And there will be links to hear Nick's song, as well as links in the description if you'd like to financially support the channel on PayPal, as well as Patreon. And don't forget the merch store. I'll pull the mug out this time, Rebecca. Uh, we <laughs> I are have a currently... Christmas mug this time. No, so. <laughs> um, but I just want to say that we are doing a 25% off sale at our merch store. Uh, we just got uh, some couch pillows, uh, limited time offer, 25% uh, off. So please check out our merch store as well. And you all have yourself a great day. And don't forget the most important thing, all the voices of the restoration will be heard here on Mormon Book Reviews. <laughs>